0: Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. I am so excited to be before you this morning. Thank you for bringing us into your home. I know right before the message, I heard the story about this college class that was taking their final exam. And right before the time was up, the professor comes to them and, turns and gives them a form and says, Hey, you need to fill this out, sign it, acknowledging that you didn't get any outside help during this test. So one by one, every student fills it out, signs it, and they turn it in with their test, except for one student. And that student goes to the professor and says, you know, teacher, I can't, I can't sign this form. You see, throughout the whole test, I was praying to God, so I did get outside help. And the professor replied, well, let me go ahead and see your test. So he looks at the test, and he starts reviewing, and he says, okay, okay. He says, you know, you have nothing to worry about. You're going to be okay? Go ahead and sign the form because obviously God didn't answer your prayer. And, you know, there's no one here, so there's a lot of crickets. But anyway, I can't wait till the day that you guys are back here together. You know, we we are continuing in our series entitled God Cares. And it's this premise that God cares for everything that is going on around us. And so far, we've talked about defeating our fears. We talked about God, the good shepherd. We talked about you know, the God of the valleys, and we talked about grace for every race. And we are discovering, like, like I said, that God really cares with everything that is going on around us. And today we're going to talk about the most important thing we can do during this time, and that is to pray. And yet it's probably one of the things that we forget to do the most. And and I understand, I mean, we get so caught up in everything that's going on around us, not only our own lives, but everything that we see, that oftentimes prayer is the last thing that we do, if we do it at all. But today, I want to review with you, I want to unpack this prayer that Daniel prayed in in chapter 9. And you're going to find that Daniel was in a crisis very similar to ours, and, and he just does this, this prayer that is just compelling that I think would, will resonate with us and I think we could all benefit by learning. Now, so open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter nine and while you do that, let me just tell you that by the time that we get to chapter nine, Daniel is an, is an old man. He's 85 years old. And if you recall the story of Daniel when he was 15 years old, he was taken into captivity into, uh, into, by the Babylonians and, and he was a prisoner of war Now, by this time, he's gone through so many changes, and he's gone through test after test. And at this point, Daniel had already been uh, in authority, and he had power. I mean, he had grown in all of it, and, and he served three different kings by this time. And we know that the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians, and then the Persians defeated the Babylonians. So now, Daniel has a new boss. And he survived every single administration so far. And no matter what the government was doing at this time, Daniel has favor from God and he keeps getting promoted. But here's the thing Daniel is an old guy, like I said. He's 85, but he wants to go home. And Daniel is reading from the book of Jeremiah where he learns that he was supposed to be in Babylon for 70 years and then that God was going to bring his people back home to Israel. Now, what's interesting and relatable here is that Daniel knows that time is almost up. The 70 years are almost up. And yet he can look around and that he can see and he can tell that the Israelites have not turned back to God. 70 years have passed and they're still as messed up as they were before. The Israelites, you see, were not any closer to God than they were 70 years ago. So now Daniel starts to worry and he starts to think in his mind that maybe I'm not going to get to go back home because we're not any closer to God than we were before. And it's interesting for us because I think, and I think you will agree that all of us have been praying a very similar prayer. If you don't know the scripture in Second Chronicles 7:14, I think by now it is familiar to you. And that's that scripture that says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, And turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, we as a society may look around and we either will agree or disagree that people are either not humbling themselves or repenting or praying. I mean, who are we to judge if they're doing that? It's such a personal thing. However, we can look around. And when we witness the infighting and the division and the posturing and the self-interest in our nation, at a minimum, we can agree that something is off. I mean, it's not for us to say that people are not humbling themselves or praying or seeking God's face or repenting, but we can tell that something's off in such a way that we see that our behavior is not matching humility, prayer, and repentance. I think we can agree on that. And this is exactly where Daniel finds himself. He is in a crisis like we are. And this is what he starts to write in Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Turn with me. And it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, he says, I, Daniel understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And just real quickly, Babylon is Iraq and Persia is Iran today, just for for context. And Daniel is saying that Jerusalem was destroyed and they, they didn't know when it was going to be rebuilt, but they said that it's going to be at least 70 years and then you guys are going to get to go back home. But notice two key phrases from the scripture. The first one is understood from the scriptures. And the second one is according to the word. In other words, he is saying, as I studied, as I understood, as I studied the scriptures, I learned from the word, which should give us our first clue as to what we should do when we pray in crisis. The first thing that we should do is that we should study the scriptures and learn from the word of God. In other words, we should open up our Bibles and we should learn its promises and it'll just help us to pray more effectively. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said in John, if you stay connected to me and my words remain in your heart, you may ask whatever you want in prayer and it will be given to you. You stay connected by reading his Bible. And he says, if these words found in the Bible stay in your heart, remain in your heart. He says that if you follow these two conditions, then you can ask whatever you want, the Bible says. Now, that also kind of gives us this clue that that if we're praying and if we're not getting the answer that we're looking for, maybe there's something happening there. Maybe there's a disconnect. Maybe we're either not connected or the words are not remaining in our heart. You see, for Daniel, he studied the scriptures And it tells us that he talked to God at least, at least three times a day. Now think about that for a second and ask yourselves, do you think our lives would be different if we had a conversation with God at least three times a day? What would that look like? Not only for our families, our communities, but our nation. Because Daniel did this for 70 years and what he found in his life, that he kept getting God's favor. He kept getting promoted. I mean, he, 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 he grew to be so wise because he's talking to God every single day. But not just once. At least three times, the Bible says. And we find in chapter 1 that Daniel, right by now, he's, he's worried about this crisis in his life. So he starts to read the Bible. But back then, he started to read the prophet, the book of Jeremiah. Now, here's the thing. Daniel and Jeremiah were contemporaries, which means that they lived at the same time. And when Babylon crushed Israel, Daniel, you see, like I told you before, he was taken captive as a prisoner of war into Babylon. But Jeremiah was left behind in a defeated, broken city of Jerusalem. And then in the Jeremiah's book, God tells them, hey, those guys over in Babylon, they're going to be there for 70 years. And this is what Daniel is reading. And that's where he starts to find hope. He knows that there's a time limit. And this is what it says in Jeremiah 29. And this is what Daniel is studying. He says, for God says this to you, you will be kept in Babylon for 70 years. But then I'll keep my gracious promise to bring you back to your home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you. Not plans for your disaster. My plans will give you a hope and a future. In those days when you pray, I will listen. Now, if you've been around the church for some time, you are very familiar with this verse. We know this verse, but we often leave out the last phrase In those days when you pray, I will listen. You see, this scripture tells us that there's two factors. To God's promises. The first one is God's timing. And the second one is my praying. So God is saying, I have a good plan for you. And you're not going to cut it short. But it's still a good plan. So I don't want you to worry about it. But you are going to have to pray. And then I will listen. In other words, God, you see, is in control, but it is our responsibility to pray because God is not going to force his plan on you. We have to choose to believe that he has a good plan for us, and then we have to choose to pray and ask. And then look what else Daniel did. And as we start into this prayer, we go to verse three, and this is what it says. So I turned my face to the Lord God seeking him, which tells us that when we pray that we should focus our attention on God, I mean, and and that just makes sense to us, right? When we want to focus our attention on somebody, that means we give them our undivided attention. And every time I think of that, I think of of my wife. And when she's talking to me, I've learned, if I want to have a good day, that I need to turn physically physically turn my face towards her, which because that shows her that I am giving her my undivided attention. And the same thing was, was true with my kids, especially when they were little, especially my daughter who used to grab my face and say, Daddy, Daddy, look at me and pay attention to me. Unfortunately, she had to do that a lot of times. But this is exactly what Daniel was doing. In fact, notice this same verse in a different translation, the New, the New American Standard Version. He says, so I gave... My attention to the Lord to seek him in prayer. And look at what Proverbs says. He God says, I love those who love me, and seek me with what? Find me. And Jeremiah 29 again says, You will find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. Lastly, Hebrews says, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, wherever you seek God sincerely and intently, God is going to reward. So that's what Daniel did. He focused his attention on God, and he was seeking him. And then we should also express our prayers with emotion, which is what Daniel did. Because in the same thing in verse 3, the second part of it, this is what Daniel says. I began pleading with God earnestly in prayer. And folks, pleading means an emotional appeal. It's not a mundane request. In fact, the Hebrew word that they use here is bakash, which means to take a hold of. It is an emotional request. It is a serious seeking. It is searching with all of your heart. And folks, when you search something or you do anything with all of your heart, that means that you're passionate about it. So whatever you're asking for in prayer, you express that desire with emotion and passion. I mean, All prayers are good. There's no bad prayers, but sometimes many of our prayers, at least we run the risk that many of our prayers are are mundane and they become just words. And we say things like, now I lay me down to sleep and I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Or we sit down for a meal and we say, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Again, good prayers, but oftentimes they lack emotion. There's no authenticity. But yet look at the same verse. So you can get an idea of it in the message paraphrase. It says, I poured out my heart, bearing my soul to God. That, that, that explains it a little differently, don't you think? That when you have a request to God, when you pour out your heart and you bear your soul, that, that has some emotion to it. The question is, have you ever done that? Have you ever poured out your heart to God? Have you ever bared your soul to God? I mean, this is a, a gut-wrenching prayer where you just cry out and you say, God, I need your help. I, I, I'm a mess right now. God, I'm pouring out my heart. I'm being authentic. I'm baring my soul. You know, it's very similar to what Jacob did when he was wrestling with that angel. And he says, I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you prayed like that. You know, you you may have forgotten already, but I can tell you that as your pastor and your friend, I can tell you the last time you prayed a prayer like that. And it was the last time that you were in some deep, deep, because we don't pour out our hearts to God when things are going great. When when we're out skipping in the hills of your Belinda and picking flowers and talking about peace and love. No, that's not when we pour out our hearts. No we pour out our hearts to God when we're in a deep, deep valley, when we're in a deep pain, when things are going wrong. But is that the only time we should pour out our hearts to God? Because folks, I would suggest to you that now is the time. Now is the time for believers. That means you and I to come together and to start crying out to God and to pray with that same emotion, passion, for our families. And somebody, you may want to study this in the Bible about all the times the Bible talks about crying out to God. There's so many examples of people who cried out to God and then God heard their prayer. You see, God doesn't just listen. He listens to our crying out in emotion when we say, God, I really need your help. Now it says, Daniel, that's what he was doing. He was pleading. He's crying out and he's basically saying, God, I want to go home. Your word says that it's going to be 70 years, but now I'm concerned I might not get to go home. I spent my entire life, God, you know, serving these pagan kings. I've done good. I've straight, you know, I've stayed true. I've kept your promises. I kept my integrity in this pagan world. I didn't deny my faith and father God, I want to die in my own country. And I'm thinking this is what Daniel is thinking. And here's what it says. And, you know, we're going back and forth between Jeremiah and Daniel. And this is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 50. Now, this was Jeremiah's prediction of what God was telling him. He says, then my people will join together in tears. Folks, that is emotional prayer that they'll join together in tears And they'll join together in tears to seek the Lord, and they will ask the way to Jerusalem, and they will start back home again. To me, that is one of the most touching and hopeful verses in the Bible. You see, they don't know how to get back home. It's been 70 years. They don't even know their way back. There's been a whole generation that doesn't even know where Jerusalem is. And they're coming to God in tears, and as a result, they get to go back home. Let me ask you, would you agree that America needs to pray that prayer today? That we would all go back home to God? And if you agree with me, just, just say amen. By the way, you can say amen audibly or you can just type it up. We've gotten so far off course that we symbolically need to go back home to God. We need to pray that prayer We need to pray that prayer not only for our own lives and say, Father, I've gotten so detached from you. I've gotten so busy. I've gotten so distracted. I I don't have the slightest idea of how to get back to you. But Father, I want to come back home. Some of you need to pray that prayer for your family. And and understand that you can say, Father, I know that my family is out of whack. And I know that we need to come back home to you. Some of you parents need to pray that prayer for your kids. When your kids, are out, they're out on a limb and you have to pray that they will symbolically come back to God. But also, for some of you, that they would come back home. And all of us need to pray that prayer for our nation. Folks, it's a message of hope. Notice that when it says that, it says that when my people join together in tears, God says that he's going to answer. So then we should ask ourselves, is anything that is happening around us, is anything bringing us to tears? In other words, is it breaking your heart? The stuff that's going on, is it breaking your heart? What you see happening in our society, in our system, in our politics, does any of it break your heart? Does any of it bring you to tears as you think about it? You see, this was very convicting to me because I look around and I'm disappointed, yes. And I see things that, are, that aren't working and, and I get so uh, disappointed. But is it breaking, breaking my heart? Because if it's not breaking our heart, I would ask and I would encourage you to contemplate, why not? You see, we need to cry out, look around, ask God breaks our heart for the things that break his, and come to him in prayer for our nation. The same verse, verse three, as we read the third part of that verse, this is what Daniel said, I started fasting and went without food to show my sadness, and I put on rough clothes and sat in ashes. Now, nobody really does that today. I mean, that that part, the first part is called sackcloth and ashes, and it was done for hundreds of years back in the Middle East during those times, but I don't know of anybody that does that today. But the third part here that Daniel's talking about, is something, it's a discipline that has been done for hundreds, and, uh, for centuries, that people still do today, and that's called fasting. Now, to me, if you think about it, does that show that Daniel was pretty serious about his prayer? It's the same thing with us. When we're going to pray in a crisis, we should find ways to demonstrate our seriousness to God. In fact, Jesus tells us in the New Testament that there are some miracles that happen only by prayer and fasting, and not just by prayer alone. And I think it's because God says, hey, this shows that you're serious. This shows that you mean business, that you're serious enough to go without food or something you're used to having. That's how disciplined Daniel was. That's how disciplined he was to show his seriousness to God. And if you read scripture, you're going to find that all throughout scripture, we find people who fasted during major crises in their life or during major decision-making times in their life. In fact, Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. The Israelites fasted before they went into a lot of the major battles. We're learning here that Daniel fasted in order to receive guidance from God. Nehemiah fasted before he began a major construction project. And we, of course, know that Jesus fasted for 40 days before he was tempted so that he could defeat that temptation. And all I'm saying here is that maybe we should contemplate, and I am suggesting, and I will join you in doing this, that we should pray and fast for our nation. That we would come together as a body of believers to demonstrate how serious we are by fasting. And then look at what Daniel verse 4 says. It says, I pray to the Lord and I said, Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your promises of constant love to those who love you and keep your commands. And then further down in verse 9, it says, even though we have rebelled against you, you, Lord, are merciful and forgiving. That means that we should always, when we pray... Thank God for his love and his promises. The Bible says that when you ask, you ask with thanksgiving. And folks, thanksgiving is not just a holiday if you're a believer. It is an entire life of attitude, that with an attitude of gratitude. You are to live with that attitude that God, what Daniel did, and what Daniel does in this prayer is that he reminds himself Uh, how good God is and how gracious God is and how grateful he is to God. And for us, when we just come before God and we just tell him, you know, God, I am grateful that you are God and that I am not father. I am grateful that you are loving and forgiving and that you are good and merciful father. Thank you for your promises. You see, God doesn't listen to prideful complaining. But he does listen to humble confessing. And therefore, we should also humbly confess our sins. You no, know, God responds to humility. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you also have to know that when we do that, when we confess our sins, he doesn't punish us. In fact, he's not even surprised by it at all. He already knows every single thing that we did. I think he just wants us to do it for our own benefit, for our own humility. And when God hears you to be humble, he responds, the Bible said, the scripture says, with blessing, with forgiveness and mercy and grace. He's not there to take you down. He, the only thing he's interested in taking down is your pride. Now we have to understand also that the word confess in the Bible comes from the Greek word homologeo. Now homo means the same, and that's where we get the word homosexual or homo sapien. It means all the same. Logeo, you see, means to speak or to concede. So to confess simply means to speak or concede the same thing about God. And we come to Him, we say, Father, You're right. That was a sin. I don't excuse it. I don't downplay it. That is, that is the kind of confession that God responds to with grace. And then in verse 5, Daniel says, we have sinned and done wrong. And this is the next part of our prayer, that, that we humbly come and we confess that you've done wrong. We've sinned and we've done wrong. But Daniel doesn't stop there. If you keep reading, he's very, very specific about what they've done wrong. And this is what he says. We've done wrong. We've rebelled against you. We have ignored your commands. We have rejected your laws. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets. In other words, he's saying, we're all at fault here. There's no one generation that's not at fault. And, And in America, we can say that every generation has done its, its part. It's not just right now. And then in verse 7 of Daniel, this is what he says. We have brought disgrace and shame on ourselves because we've been unfaithful to you. He said, you know what God, that we committed spiritual adultery. You know, we, we gave our love to somebody else that, and we were supposed to give it to you. But no, we, we've been unfaithful to you. And then he goes on to say, this is true of all of us including our kings, our leaders, and parents. And then in verse 10, he says, we paid no attention to you when you told us how to live. I mean, he told us what's good and what's bad. He told us what's morally good and what's not. And then in verse 13, he goes on and says, we kept on sinning even though we know all of that, never giving you a second thought, oblivious to your clear warnings. You had no choice but to let disaster loose on us since we persistently and defiantly ignored you. Verse 13, he kind of sums it up and he says, and now all the nations mock us. Is that ringing true for anyone? Because it is for me, sounding very familiar to me. Daniel knows that he doesn't deserve their blessing, but he cast himself out in God's grace. And this is what he says in verse 18. And I think we should all pay attention here. Oh, God, listen to me. Hear my request. We don't ask because we deserve your help, but because you are so merciful. Father, you are a good, good father, he is saying. And then eventually God responds. We find in starting in verse 20 that God starts to respond, Daniel. And this is what it says. While I kept on prayer, and I want to pause here to tell you that this is so important to us because it says that he kept on praying. In other words, this wasn't just one prayer. He kept on praying this prayer on and on until God answered him. He did it over and over again. And while he kept on praying, the Bible says, and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, I'm pleading with the Lord. Suddenly, the angel Gabriel appeared in my vision. And then the response Daniel, I've been sent to help you understand God's plan. The moment you began praying, an answer was given, and I'm here to tell it to you. For God loves you very, very much. And I want to I stay here for a second because this is also really important. You know, God doesn't have to send us Gabriel. He doesn't have to send me Gabriel. He doesn't have to send you Gabriel because we have the New Testament. We have the, the second part of the Bible that tells us about Jesus, that tells us that Jesus is in us. And of course, we would love to see Gabriel, but we have Jesus on our behalf that can help us with all of this. But I can tell you that if you pray like that, that God will say to you, like he told Daniel, this is important, that no matter what, God is saying, Daniel, I love you. Let that sink in for a second, because a lot of stuff is going on, not only personally, but also as a nation. And no matter what we do, what our prayer is going to look like, I know that for sure. I know that for sure God is going to say, I love you. Because that what his scripture tells us. And I can tell you that if you pray like that, God will say that to you today. Folks, I'm not Daniel, and neither are you. But we do have a scripture and his promises that says that he will answer us in our time of need, that he keeps his promises and that he loves us. So today, as I close, I want you to contemplate and I encourage you to contemplate Daniel's prayer, not only for your own life, but that we would all agree as a body of believers to pray this prayer for our nation This is where we get to respond and rise up and cry out to God. So I'm going to read Daniel's prayer as I close. And I'm going to give two prayers. The first one is just, I'm going to just read through this prayer. And I just want you to agree with me in prayer as you hear it, as you follow along in your Bible, starting in verse four. And then if you agree at the end, just just type amen. And this is what it says. Bear with me. It is a long prayer, but it is an important, important prayer. Will you pray with me? And he says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all those who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all of the people in the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far in all of the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Oh, Lord, we are kings and our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiven, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servant, the prophets. All of Israel has transgressed your laws and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, it says, the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster, Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all of this disaster has come upon us, and yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord by turning from our sins and giving our attention to the truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, and we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem. I can say from America. From your city, your holy hill, our sins and our iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant, of your servants. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open our eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. Lord, we don't make requests because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And if you agree with me in that prayer, and if you prayed that prayer, can you just say amen? And now let me just close in praying for us. And will you bow your heads and just let me pray over you. And if you agree with me, just repeat this prayer as I pray in your hearts. Father, you've promised that if we stay connected to you and that if we have your word in our hearts, Father, that we can ask and it will be done. So, Lord, I thank you for all the people that are joining me in prayer. Father, they love you. They want to do what is right. So I ask that you act on their behalf and that you would hear their prayers for Jesus' sake. And if that's you, will you just continue to repeat this in your heart and say, God, I want to learn to seek you. Father, help me to see that your plan for my life involves not only your timing, but my praying. Father, teach me to focus my attention on you. Lord, we know that it's so easy to get distracted. I want to turn my face to you. Father, Lord, teach me how to talk to you with emotion and to be authentic and real. Lord, I want to realize that my heart is more important than my words. Thank you, Father, that my prayer doesn't have to be beautiful and sound great. It just has to be honest and real. Lord, I pray that you would break my heart for what breaks yours. Teach me to pour out my heart to you, and say yes, even if tears come. God, I, I've wandered away and am not as close to you as I could be. So I'm asking that you would allow me to go back home. want me to demonstrate how serious I am and even be willing to go without food or something that's important to me as a symbol, Father, as a sign that I am serious about this prayer. Lord, I thank you for loving me. Lord, I thank you promises. Father, and we all ask in the powerful name of Jesus that you would heal our land. Father, that you would heal our land. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen.